You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 624, the new Frasier and Boiling Point reviewed, The Pretenders Can't Make Money on the Road, But Metallica Make a Fortune, and The Ups and Downs of Holly Willoughby and Michael Aspel. That's all coming up after Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hobbs with Cinnamon Girl. I'm a major fan of the three albums mm. they've recorded together, a series called Under the Covers. Volume one is cover versions of songs from the 60s, volume two, the 70s, volume three, the 80s. This mm. is from Under the Covers, volume one, with a Neil Young song, Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoffs and Cinnamon Girl. That is lovely. And previously, unbeknownst to me, and I like them both very much. So uh, I will definitely be delving under the covers with the two of them. That sounds lovely. They are good albums. Um, Hello and welcome along Mm. to Parish Council, episode 624. I'm Terence Stackham. In the news this week, Stevie Nicks announced that she is to launch her own Barbie doll. So, of Mm. course, all the media speculation this week... We've got to ask her, are the rumours true? Is Juliet going to do the same? 
Let's ask Juliet <laughs> Harris. Well, thank you very much. I'm wearing a pink jumper, so actually that is not as outlandish as I suspect no. the, the, you know, as, as, as the humour in this might 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 suggest. No. I did wear pink when I went to watch the Barbie film, as we talked about on uh, yes. the podcast Passim. So I wouldn't necessarily be anti, and they're also doing some very diverse and interesting Barbie figures now. There was one based on Maggie Adderin Pocock recently, apparently, which I mm. the, the excellent Sky at Night lady. So uh, it's not it's not out. It's not Oh, sort of is out there I think it could be a big seller, Jules. The, the, the <laughs> Juliet Harris Barbie doll. I, I could see it really, you know, for Christmas. Indeed, I could see it yes. really enlivening May, people's uh, Shall we name we're already in the middle of October. Shall we aim for next Christmas yes, instead? Okay. Like, yes. like when I worked in the conveyancing practice and used to, people used to say they wanted to be in for Christmas and I would say that would be fine as long as they were relaxed as to which Christmas it was. So <laughs> so I feel the same about we can get a Barbie doll of me out for Christmas. Um, Christmas 2027 sounds great for me. So uh, mm. so let's let's see what we can achieve. Hello, everybody. 19 years since the last episode of Frasier was broadcast. Mm, I can't um, believe how long it's been. I know. And over 11 years of the series, the cast won 37 Emmys mm. between them. And it won the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series for five consecutive years. Wow. So surely nearly 20 years on, there's no need for a revival. Mm. But Kelsey Grammer, by the way, despite his appearance in Frasier in the, in the original um, as a rather mature fellow, he was only mm. in his 30s. So mm. I know I was really I have to say about people I, that are growing into themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel I don't mean to be rude, but I was really surprised about that. Mm, so now he's only just into his sixties. So came the decision to reboot the series and his character, now transplanted to Boston, where he takes up a professorship at Harvard. Quite a gamble, all of this, Jules. Does it pay off? Mm, I'm not convinced. Um, it was fine. I I can't I can't say that this was much more than fine, really, in terms of watching it. I was happy to watch it for these purposes. I very much enjoyed Frasier. I thought it was great. Um, this this struggled from the fact that they were having to introduce so many new characters because much. I mean, obviously not. I thought that the the death of John Mahoney, aka Fraser's dad, was very well dealt with. Actually, the strongest scenes were the scenes that acknowledge that. I thought really, but uh, the recasting of Fraser's son, um, the new character of David, um, the the child of Niles and Daphne, who I very much missed in this, by the way. Um, Roz is rumored to be coming back later in the series, which I will welcome very much. I thought Nicholas Lyndhurst was pretty good value as as the sort of pompous English sort of professor colleague of of Frasier. Um, the, the bits in which, funnily enough, the bits in which it was serious worked better in, 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 than the bits in which it attempted to be funny. I thought the, the sort of poignancy of Fraser and the relationship with his with his son and and talking about the sort of Fraser's uh, deceased father. I thought that those aspects of it worked worked well, but otherwise, I really missed the interplay of of Fraser and his his sort of previous family, and I wasn't convinced that these new characters, apart from um, the the the, the nephew Nephews, uh, sorry, the the son's Freddie's flatmate. Who I thought mm. the woman that played her was excellent. Actually, I thought she had good potential. But other than that, I, I wasn't convinced that the new cast. It was very, it was very much a pale imitation of the previous cast. I thought really, so it didn't really work for me. I must say. 
I did feel episode one was a bit hit and miss too. I thought mm. Kelsey Grammer was as good as ever. And yes, he was actually. Started yeah. right back into the character. Yes. I'll get my major negative out of the way, and I'm, mm. I'm afraid we are a bit at odds here. I thought Nicholas Lindhurst was woefully miscast mm. as a, an old friend of Frasier. I mean, Lindhurst, okay, he is 62 now, but he's yes. perennially youthful. Yes, and that's you know true. he's made to play the cheeky chappy and not a Harvard psychology professor. Um, that may, of course, be an English point of view. Of course, it is, it's mainly for the mm. American market. They presumably have no idea who Nicholas Lindhurst is. No, so it, I it suppose may not, come, actually. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, quite a lot of slapstick, physical comedy. Um, one odd thing I noticed now, I don't know if anybody else notices, the entire cast shouted their lines as if they were in the theatre. Yes, it was Everything very was loud, better. wasn't it? Mm. Yes, it was rather. I didn't think it was... Yeah, it was a bit odd, wasn't it? Yes. Also, lots of elements of farce. Everybody dashing in and out of doors, um, mm. which is like in all the best farces on on in theatre. All the doors open both ways, in and out. Yes. So, yeah. Um, the last episode of the original Frasier in May 2004 was watched by 33.7 million viewers wow. in the US alone. But with this new version tucked away on Paramount Plus, mm. it won't re- reach anywhere near that figure. Um, like you, I would question, will I keep watching? I think the jury is out on that. I have to say, regrettably, probably not. It wasn't enough to keep me interested in this, I don't think. Frasier, as I say, is on Paramount Plus if you want to watch it. Mm. A couple of years ago, we reviewed and uh, greatly enjoyed the one-off BBC drama Boiling Point with Stephen Graham and uh, Vinette Robinson. She was magnificent. We both. It was it, yes, we loved her. She, this was on Netflix, wasn't it? I think. Is that where it was first? I time think around? it was on Netflix. Yeah, I think yeah. rather than BBC. I'm Rock just Netflix. frantically trying to find this out now. But I believe that the original film. Was hmm. um was on Netflix, I think. Okay. Well, while you're looking, just like Frasier, Boiling hmm. Point is back, back, back with a with a reboot, and um, episode one of four aired this week on the BBC, and in an homage to the original, episode one opened with a ten minute single camera shot. Um, not as long a, a gap in time as with Frasier for this update, hmm. Jules, but uh, we're back in the kitchen with Boiling Point. We are, and I'm delighted to be back in the kitchen with Boiling Point. I thought that the previous one was it, but the film was really, really good. I believe that is on Netflix. Okay. Um, it was it was meant to be a cinematic release, but um, it, I think it just ended up pretty much going straight to straight to streaming because of mm. the sort of the hoo ha that was going on at the time. Um, it was released in the United Kingdom on the seventh of January, twenty twenty two. This informs me here. So, um, so I really, really liked this because I thought that they did a really good job. I, I found it a bit strange when I found out that a TV series was, um, was, was being released off the back of the film. But having said that. The characters were very well drawn, and I do always give this caveat, as I do with the film, that it is just an incredibly stressful watch. But that goes to show how well it is made, that every situation is, I mean, you can sort of predict some of them, but it's not always that well telegraphed, I don't think. And it's actually, it always finds a way of surprising you, I think, boiling point. Vinette Robinson, excellent as always. I like the kind of boot on the other footness of it, that she is now running this stressful restaurant and is having to rush out to deal with her mother and is slightly unreliable. And uh, and we see Stephen Graham briefly sort of reduced at home. Um, I thought this was great. I thought the, the, the script was really good as ever. I thought the, the new characters worked 
character as well as the older characters that we knew from the film. Um, I found myself very absorbed in it as ever. I thought it was it was really well done. And again, dealt with sort of it had some running themes that it developed from the film. But I, I thought it was very well done. Also very nice to see a, a cameo from Kathy Tyson as uh, as Lynette Robinson's mother in it. I hadn't seen her in a very long time. I love the way this this um, this drama is constructed, but I too find it very stressful to watch. Yes, I can understand I, that. I get so absorbed. I feel my heart beating faster at the sheer madness of yes. life behind the scenes in this uh, what should we say super smart uh, restaurant. Yes, the whole frantic nature it does make me very edgy, but it's beautifully mm. written and cast. Yes, Lynette Robertson continues to be wonderful as yeah, Chef she's Carly, right? Isn't she? Yes. And I think you're right. I think a, a, a series gives an opportunity to develop the other characters who were mm. um, just sort of shadowy figures in the in the original film, in a sense. I, I think the tension is added to um, literally across this because um, the, sh- the show seems to be filmed in natural lighting. So there's a gloom, a darkness yes. right across it. And... Um, the, the tension I, I, I find is really claustrophobic. But anyway, mm. it's deeply compelling, beautifully made. Um, boarding point, it's on the BBC iPlayer this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Very much enjoyed. So recommended. Coming up next, a paradox. The pretenders lose money touring and Metallica hoover money up, becoming millionaires through touring. That's next. It's right after Corinne Bailey Ray.
very much enjoyed this. Um, I heard it on, well, I posted about it on social media and lots of people seem to have the same experience of this as I did, which is we were driving along listening to Six Music on the way back from London and this song came on and I said, wow, this is good. And we both agreed that it was excellent. And um, and at the end of it, uh, they, uh, well, they have, we, I don't think we even reached any of it. That I, I, My girlfriend said, who is it? And so I waited because when you have a sort of digital radio, it sometimes gives the name of the song and the artist. And I said, it's saying it's Korean Bailey Ray. And she said, well, surely they must have that wrong it can't be Corinne mm-hmm. Bailey Ray and then they then they back announces Corinne Bailey Ray not so much of a surprise to those of us that were aware of her teenage past in a riot girl band called Helen in Leeds when she was 15 some years ago now but um but I thought it was fantastic the album it comes from is brilliant as well I really really love that that is um Erasure by Corinne Bailey Ray well, I, I as well, I found it an unexpected twist when I first heard it this week and did exactly the same thing. I actually uh, shazammed it thinking, are we sure? Are, are, you know, mm, they, have they made a mistake here? So I played the whole album and it is, an, well, to me, it's such a change in direction. I, I didn't know about her okay, yes. early days, but absolutely amazing. It's absolutely terrific uh, album and a great track. So, yeah, well done, Corinne Bailey Ray. Brilliant. We're constantly told by people who know about such things that unless you're Elton or Sir Paul McCartney, mm. perhaps Ed Sheeran, that there's no profit in recorded music now and that mm. all income comes from live gigs. Indeed. I've long held the view that uh, the musicians moaning loudest about the returns from streaming sites are those who struggle to sell CDs beyond their immediate family and friends mm. in any case. So expecting to become a millionaire through Spotify is, is just unrealistic mm. um, in any case. Now, the Pretenders have a new album out, and as if to make this point, its release had passed many people by, including, I have to say, me. Um, mm. I saw an interview with Chrissy Hines she gave to promote it this week, and in this interview, um, Chrissy says that they're going to lose money playing live to promote this album, playing at small venues, and some of the venues are actually very small indeed, if you look at the tour. To which, Jules, I want to ask a rather cheeky question. Aren't they playing small venues because they just can't draw the crowds anymore to bigger venues? Well, now that is a fair point, isn't it, really? So this is interesting. So this article tell you talking about the pretenders um there are however a couple of interesting lines in this so so talking about how sort of much they enjoy playing at live venues um you know management would prefer profits from large outdoor stadium concerts of course because you what hein loves playing in clubs she and james warburn plays guitar says after lockdown that they need to do it it's fun um and so they they worked on basically uh smaller venues um clubs around the world british gigs included the o2 ritz in manchester which is um 1500 capacity electric ballroom in london um the cheese and grain and frome and somerset and the bearded theory festival in walton on trent and then there's a very a, a sort of understated paragraph that clearly that simply reads interspersed amongst the intimate gigs performances at several giant US sports stadiums to sustain a living so it wasn't quite as they put that I don't think well there's a little caveat there because I'm sorry to leap in but these uh, enormous gigs they were playing were as support to to Guns N' Roses so they weren't filling the uh, stadiums themselves no indeed although I suppose that is a big enough yes that is very true although I suppose at least they're still seen as a big enough concern to support Guns N' Roses Mm. but I think they're still quite big in the States aren't they but um yeah so perhaps this is a way of this is a way of spinning, isn't it, really? Um, so I think it's quite interesting that um, also can't quite believe Chrissy Hind is now 72. Good for her, frankly. Mm-hmm. But um, but yes, yeah, she said um, and she the says rest, that 
and Indeed. the rest he whispered quietly. Oh, Terence. Anyway, um, <laughs> you, of course, are perpetually 21, so to yourself, <laughs> as we all know. But, um, yeah, I thought this was very um, interesting. Um, they At least they haven't been, I suppose at least there hasn't been any dynamic pricing, I suppose. But, yes, it's interesting. It is all as it seems. I'm, I'm willing to believe you when you suggest it is not. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to be cruel at all, but the Pretenders' mm. last hit single in the UK was a, a track, again, I'd forgotten, called Human, that reached number 33 in yes. 1999. In mm. the States, to find a hit, you have to go back to 1994, oh. 29 years ago. Was that a night in my veins? It was I'll Stand By You, which oh, was gosh, number 16. Right. Okay, fair enough. So Chrissy Hines says that her management would prefer the profits from large outdoor stadium mm. concerts, as you say. But... Um, would I mean the question is is answerable by what we've just said because would they fill High Park? No, they wouldn't. They played there this summer, but again as only as support to Guns and, and Roses doing a you know forty five mm. minute one set. Um, and as I said, their last tour was essentially supporting Guns and Roses. Mm. So the point is, I, I think there's a there's a very big point here really. I think if if the Pretenders can't make make money through either recording or live gigs. I mean, it's the game up, perhaps. Mm, it's quite, quite possibly so, isn't it? Really, it's um, you know, like you say, where's the money going to come from? If there mm. aren't enough people buying your records to sustain you that way, and there aren't enough people interested enough mm. to go and see you as on tour that way, like you say, maybe the common factor both is things that people aren't interested. Mm, I don't know, exactly. and it seems very strange. It's hard to it? face that to, but and you know. nothing like does it no, really? No. And, and and in one way, I admire the pretenders for not mm. just falling back on the hits because they've got an incredible singles catalogue and mm. I, I admire them for not just wanting to do a sort of a a hits tour and for trying to still persevere in producing new material I do admire that artistically very much but maybe people just want the hits exactly mm. well no, on, c- conversely it's beginning to look like the way to make money touring is to have such loyal fans or mugs as I like to call them mm, indeed no matter what you charge for concert tickets, they'll pay it. And you, you mentioned, there. I mean, we looked into this recently, didn't we? Bruce Springsteen and his dynamic pricing leading mm. to some fans paying $5,000 for a ticket through the approved supplier, Ticketmaster. Um, now, a middling seat for a two-night show of Metallica at Chicago this summer was $380 plus $106 in booking fees, which is mm. the fact that booking fees thing is outrage in itself. Yeah, agreed. Now, they, they, so you, you have to buy this package of two nights. They play different sets over these two nights, mm-hmm. Jules. Well, which that's is something, a, I suppose. Well, it's a new trick we discovered to pull in the fans um, twice and to pay Yes, twice. like the National did the other the other week, yeah. I mean, I think the troubling aspect of all this dynamic pricing, doubling gigs and doubling mm. ticket prices is that it works. Metallica, yes. they've made one and a quarter billion dollars from touring alone. And this playing over two nights, I should just like clarify this a little bit. Um, they ensure that they reel the fans stroke mugs in by spreading their most loved songs, whatever they may be over the two nights so if you want to hear all the hits you have mm. to buy tickets for the two nights that is very cheeky i mean i don't know whether one would call that good marketing 
or simply exploitative? Uh, yes, it's hard to say, isn't it, really? I suppose when you're a band like Metallica, who, by the way, I've never really been particularly keen on, no. but um, but they do have, you know, they're a huge band. I have to admit, they are a huge band. Um, so these these sort of pair of pair of sort of uh, concerts that are being filmed as live on the 19th and the 21st, you can go and watch these at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you have to pay 45 pounds for both nights to watch mm-hmm. them in a the cinema, which seems expensive even by cinema standards. And, it, and the, this article points out not too long ago you could see the band in person for that kind of yes. money. And they said that they've compensated for a shortfall in royalties from traditional records, record sales by ratcheting up their ticket prices. Um, so the pretenders in fairness don't seem to have done that. But no. um, but yeah, it seems a bit ridiculous. If you want to go for a two-night pass in a you know average seat for the San Francisco Quartet's upcoming appearance at Soldier Field Stadium in Chicago, like you say, 380 plus a further mm. 106.82 in booking fees. Their co-manager is Peter Mensch, who I believe, by the way, is the husband of former uh, Tory MP and author Louise Bagshaw. I think Correct. I think that's Indeed. that's him, isn't it? Um, yes. Said that he said there was very little pushback. Um, and like you say, in 2022, Metallica estimated made a grand total of one billion two hundred nineteen million five hundred ninety nine thousand one hundred seventy nine dollars from touring over the years, making the top grossing metal band of all time, which is just insane, really. Um, They've been, uh, you know, it, it seems like um, this the article describes it as serving old wine from new bottles. So, so sort of <laughs> tactics where, for example, bands um, perform their best known albums in full. They let fans pick the set list, etc. So this is the t- trick that they've given there. Like you say, to some, I, I have more sympathy for bands that play. Ben and Sebastian have done this, playing albums in full. Um, because that sort of feels like it's kind of giving some fans what they want, really, if you see what I mean, and letting fans pick set lists. That feels a bit more fan-driven than doing two different set lists on different Mm. nights. I think that is better. Um, Apparently... it was, um, you know, that, that Metallica, the, the, of course, the sad fact is Metallica's powers are on the wane. There was a there was an Instagram thing the other week where a fan compa- compared mobile phone footage of La- Lars Ulrich's, uh, sorry, Lars Ulrich making a, a mess of the double bass drum runs in one to the flawless execution that you can hear in downloadable versions of the same concert, concert released uh, days uh, later. Well, um, well, well. This, this person writing in the Telegraph, Ian Ian Winwood, his name is, said, um, "I love this. is so this is so beautifully understated." I asked the group's representative to comment on the discrepancy, but to no avail. Mm-hmm. Um, in truth, Metallica have declined to acknowledge my existence since I reported that Ulrich had been accused of physically assaulting his personal assistant at 4am in the lobby of the Metropolitan Hotel on London's Park Lane in 2008. Not, you know, I feel that they've had a bad run, Metallica, to put it mildly, <laughs> haven't they, really? Um, their most recent album was called 72 Seasons, which sounds like a Spinal Tap album to me, mm. described here as overlong, overwrought and deeply ordinary. Well, I feel that that's me, really, but anyway, <laughs> I, I, you know, I have some sympathy with them here. But um, it's, um, it says the kind I can say about the new album is that at its best on If Darkness Had a Sunset, it sounds like the work of a halfway decent Metallica tribute act. And to be accused of being a tribute act to yourself suggests that it's not, um, it's not great, really. Um, it seems, uh, it seems that sort of, um, 
uh, probably 20 years ago, Metallica's set list at James Hetfield's insistence was trimmed from three hours or more to 120 minutes. And today they only play live two nights a week. Having said that, James Hetfield is now 60 years old. So, so it seems, I don't know, again, the march of time catching up. But as you say, the most depressing thing about this whole issue is that it all works, doesn't yeah, it, it works. really? People, it, it, it. You know, mm. people are still willing to pay for this band. And yeah. and therefore, I can say something very controversial. I suspect people will write in. Every time I talk about Metallica, people mm. write in to complain. Um, uh, but uh, I, to me, Metallica feel like the sort of band that sell well to corporate fans because they're the sort of band that people that think they like good music like, <laughs> rather than who people actually <laughs> like good music like. In most cases, there are some exceptions, including very good friends of mine. But... Um, I don't know. I, maybe it's just me. But again, it's people liking them because they were once good, I think, rather than necessarily what they are now. Well, there's more to come. We have the inevitability of the resignation of Holly Willoughby and the sadness of Michael Aspel. Mm. That, yeah, that's right after the K's.
enjoyed that they're touring the uk right throughout october and november and their debut album is to be released in march 2024 that was a single from last year the k's and hometown it's yeah, so like that very much actually you're very good at introducing me to new music thank you so to for being at the coal phase there's a, there's a fact in entertainment um i suppose almost any business really that when a brand becomes tainted it's mm. uh, it's immutable that anyone linked to that brand gets pulled down along with whatever or whoever was caught up in the original controversy. Yes. And it's it's all all but impossible to carry on, especially with a TV show. If a host has been uh, has been contaminated by scandal. And yes, is, that's true. Yes. This is why there's no re- reboot of Jim will fix it or it's a knockout or a bloke blowing a didgeridoo on our TV screens. Indeed. It, indeed, Top Gear we're now finding is on its last legs. Another example, the minute Clarkson bopped his uh, producer one, mm. the brand was was finished. Indeed, so, although having said that, the brand now finished for a very different reason as well. It was uh, rebooted successfully for some time, but unfortunately, yes, yeah. indeed. And I believe that, that I, I think it's been officially cancelled now, hasn't it? I think mm. I read that somewhere the other day. It, yes, but it, it's been on. It's, it was doomed because yes, it's been on a downward I guess that's true. Yes, kind, a kind of uh, helter skelter ever since. Ever diminishing returns from Chris Evans, the bloke from Friends, down mm. to the the last little setup there. So, Jules, when Philip Schofield had to step away from daytime television, whether fair or not, it was only a matter of how long before his innocent co-host Holly mm. Willoughby had to announce she too was stepping away. I quote. For me and my family. Indeed. Well, this was and and the rather sort of shocking circumstances in which she did step away. It's one of those situations that feels inevitable that doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden it's kind of all at once, really. Mm. And this kind of the weird circumstance sums up 
how banal the basically the, the sort of the collision that's taken place between the banality of the program that is this morning, which is not. It's pretty banal, isn't it, really, as a oh, programme? Um, colliding with shocking events in real life and sort of serious events in that um, she was being stalked by, and there was a there was an attempted murder um, by somebody called Gavin Plum, appeared in court, charged with soliciting to commit murder over an alleged plot to kidnap Holly Willoughby, which is shocking, of course, it's mm-hmm. terrible. He is a uh, security guard at Pinnacle Shopping Centre in Harlow, Essex. This whole thing is just a mix of the kind of really humdrum and banal and really shocking that has kind of summed up the sort of storm that's been raging over this morning. I have some sympathy for Holly, with, uh, with Holly Willoughby here. Apparently she's been known for sort of separating her home and work life for uh, for some time and she, she must feel you know this is probably the last straw I would think really I mean it's a shocking thing and I'm I'm glad that it was forward and that she wasn't hurt but um I could understand why her resolve and resilience might not have been might not have been at its height put it this way after the thing it's difficult to say really of this morning is that they always sell it i mean I, I say i find it banal there are lots of people that don't and it does quite well sort of set it sort of figures wise it's it's sort of the main i think there's the right stuff on on channel five but it's mainly um sort of the the only last surviving sort of morning show isn't it really on on as far as i'm aware on 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 sort of main tv and there's just you know obviously I think Lorraine Kelly will survive everything that ever happens in the world frankly that seems to be she'd survive a nuclear war I know and I'd be glad as well I like Lorraine Kelly she's excellent or she would put it great but um but I I just I just feel that this program has always been sold on this kind of oh we're all big one one big happy family here and you know we we all love each other and blah 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 and we're all one big team and it just for and, and you know it has survived changes in the past. I mean, it was formerly the the fiefdom of Richard and Judy, wasn't it? And it was oh, thought yes, that they yeah, would yeah. they would survive yeah. that. And then of course it survived the car crash that was John Leslie and his his sort of downfall. So it has it has been through periods of strangeness before. Firm Britain seems to do a good job of helping it sometimes. So who knows? Stranger things have happened, but it does feel to me that. You know, sort of ill-advised affairs, um, you know, kidnap, you know, attempted murder. It's all a very long way from Gino De Campo making pasta with some some innuendo, isn't it, really? And Alison Hammond bellowing at some poor woman from a charity. I mean, it's it's I, I just I feel that maybe too much of real life has intervened in the strange world of this morning. And um, never the same without Fred Talbot and his and his map. Although I believe Fred Talbot then had trouble with the law as well, didn't he? So I believe I he feel, has spent some yes, time at, her, at his her majesty's, majesty's pleasure. Indeed. So so actually, maybe 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 the problem is this morning. Don't ever go on this morning. Don't yeah. ever host this morning. Don't, if once they approach us to tea, I think that we should as a collective turn them down because i just feel that terrible things will happen in our lives um this morning the typhoid mary of british broadcasting discussed yes i think i think it might be at an end possibly um why don't they do one of those nice antiques programs instead sir terence well yes we we, there's not enough of those about are there well no you never you've said scenes you seldom see as the private eye would put it um, just to note, of course, the the Matthew Wright stuff is now, of course, the Jeremy Vine wine. Well, yes, of um, course it is. Yes, I, 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 this is how infrequently those who are sort of gamefully employed are able to check indeed. in on the, on the adventures of daytime television. I wonder that uh, this 
business also sounds the last post not only for the show this morning but also perhaps for this type of show which now i must say this is what tv people call it not me this is not my phrase he repeats this is not my phrase yes. um this sort of tv is produced for tower block traces um oh, it's a terrible God. Show, but terrible it, it indicates the clean key market for these shows i, I wonder with um, as well that with more and more people signing up for streaming for example i mean stats show that a growing number of viewers follow netflix series with their mm. breakfast rather than watching a couple of dull people parked on a sofa and the, <laughs> the appeal of the mid-morning shows is surely fading so um i mean what do they ever have that's that's new for uh i'm, I'm so sorry tower block tower block tracy it's different it's difficult to say isn't it and also i think the major channels like all like all sort of and you could say it's about a lot of tv have really suffered from the multi-channel age as well um and you know the fact that there are just infinite other it probably worked when there was literally nothing else to watch but now we live in an age where you know where its appeal had been chipped away the fact that you could you know you could always watch a Poirot on ITV3 now you know that's that's very exactly or one you know that nice Rylan I believe he has guested on this morning previously um I might watch it if he did it you know maybe he could revitalize the format (laughs) I suppose so yeah it it but I, do you know, I wouldn't call it this morning and I wouldn't um, run it quite the same way. It needs to be completely freshened up and mm. enlivened and um, just stir, stir the pot around a bit. Because, you know, just a, a, a couple of people sitting on a sofa, as you say, interviewing somebody from a, cha- a charity. Somebody cook, comes in and cooks some pasta. Then there's some scandal. Then you get some Katie Hopkins type figure coming in to cause controversy and people phone in and shout. You know, oh, it's been done over and over and over. Yes, yeah, so it's difficult to think what the new thing is, really. Yes. Michael Aspel always seemed a cheery, avuncular sort of fellow on our televisions in the 60s and the 70s. Mm. Crackerjack, come dancing, give us a clue, Eurovision. Chirpy host, if a little bit staid and stiff-collared. So I remember him from um, from my my sort of time on This Is Your Life and also on the Antiques Roadshow, which sort of perhaps sums up the sort of the the stiffness that you kind of refer to. Yes. That, that's his metier, I think. Over, yes. over the years, I've noticed him a couple of times in the queue at the till in, in Waitrose in Weybridge. Where which which does not surprise me, really, no. that, that you rub shoulders with the glitterati well, and indeed it takes place in a Waitrose. That all seems absolutely. to make sense. He's always very dapperly dressed and cheerful oh, with whoever's on the checkout. Yes. So that's, um, but rather sad, Jules, that at the age of 90, to read an interview with Michael Aspel in The Telegraph this week, in which he says he's... I quote, full of regrets. When I look back at my life, it's mostly with disappointment. Uh, End of quote. Um, Maybe that's how we'll all feel at 90, Jules. Quite possibly. I very much enjoyed this interview, actually, mostly because I'm sorry that it was rather sad in parts, but I I thought it made for a very interesting and unusually revealing interview, which actually, in a way, reflected quite well on Michael Aspel, I felt, because... I just I just felt that he was very open and honest in a way that people often aren't. And maybe that is a reflection of once you reach the age of 90, you've little more to achieve that you would want to and therefore little left to lose, I suppose, really. So you can afford to be honest at that time of your life. Um, And I, I very much 
I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought he, I quite enjoyed how he was quite self-aware when he he talked about being a, a, a regularly approached on the high street in Weybridge, Surrey. And he said, uh-huh. by very old, he said, by very old people, of course, not 30 year old women. Well, you see, I'm th- I'm still just about in my 30s and I knew who he was. So <laughs> if I saw you, Michael Aspore, I would say hello and knew who you were. Um, I very much enjoyed the story of how he talked about how everyone always confused him for Michael Parkinson because <laughs> he also had a chat show at one point. And he yeah. said there was there was one New Year's Eve party he, he said one in Brighton in the 90s and he said someone lurched over to him and said are you Michael Parkinson and I was about to put him right when I looked around us booze fag prison style yard where they were and I said I am happy new year so I am I am I am Michael Aspel a lot for his self-awareness um it was it was very interesting I think that he um I wonder if his career, I know he was on the Antiques Roadshow in sort of later life, but I wonder mm. if his career ever really recovered from the sort of tabloid scandal when he left his third wife in, in 1994 for, a, um, for a, 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 a production assistant on one of his shows. Having said that, I found it very interesting that they've been together for 30 years mm. um, and that they all sort of live near each other now and they seem to be sort of coexisting sort of peacefully. I thought it was very interesting, and I don't think you get many men that would talk about this, that he talked about how he felt that the common factor for the failure of his three marriages was him, and that he must have some sort of personality flaw. I, I enjoyed his self-awareness and his honesty. Um, I I thought he talked about some very interesting things, I thought, in terms of his sort of childhood and his background, being split up by from his siblings when he was evacuated during the war. I think we forget, Sir T., particularly when I say we are probably mean my generation more so about sort of the effect of the wars and I suppose Mm. we say largely the second world war now because most you know that there are very few people surviving from the first world war of course but I think we sort of forget what a deep and psychological impact it had on people and I suppose the only other comparison I guess is COVID that's the that's the sort of the Mm. the sort of COVID lockdowns and it's just this this idea that you know there are lots of maybe you're right that lots of people at Michael Aspel's age might have lots of regrets because they're more likely to have been around during the second world war and to have experienced trauma at a sort of an early age I mean I was I was trying to sort of think about how old you know have been being evacuated as a child during the war I, I don't think we talk or think about how traumatic that must have been for lots of young people. Mm. And and given that that was a time when it was very much, uh, it wasn't okay to not be okay then, Sir T. We didn't have posters up at the doctors. It no, was a very didn't. different, very different hinterland. Stiff upper lip. Oh, absolutely. You just ploughed on through things. And he says, um, I thought it was very interesting that he talked about this. He's, he's patron of the Evacuees Association. He says, mm-hmm. I think about it a lot. The numbers of surviving evacuees are getting fewer and fewer. It's very interesting. Um, he um, he sort of was, was presenting a bit on Boom Radio that I think we've spoken about previously. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I felt sorry for him. He was rather sort of hijacked by that terrible Planet Hollywood episode on on his, do you remember this, when he had a chat show and mm-hmm. the, the actors that were launching Planet Hollywood went on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Schwarzenegger, Stallone and Bruce Willis. And they right. went on his chat show to sort of plug Planet Hollywood, their restaurant venture. But it was, it was just on the BBC at the time. And it was so obviously... A, just a dreadful, dreadful sort of plug. They were there for no other reason than to plug their stupid restaurant. Uh, he says that Bruce Willis at least had the good grace to be embarrassed by it. As a result of which, um, 
kids show was pretty much um oh no it wasn't bbc it was lwt i think but anyway um he it was pretty much the show was censured by the independent television commission for blatant advertising and um pretty much it was cancelled as a result really Uh so i think that he was to some extent a hostage to fortune i think as well Mm. i know we all have moments in life where i I think we all of us have a have jobs which we perhaps you know haven't succeeded in but we haven't done that in um we haven't done that in, in sort of the full glare of, of publicity and there's mm. also sort of talk of he'd lost a, a brother in a motorbike accident when he was 43 one of his two sons to his first wife died aged 29 from cancer um he's had some some uh he said the grief of losing Greg, the son, is all mixed up in one kind of huge regret. It's all part of the loss. Some of it is self-inflicted and some of it just terrible. I left this feeling rather sorry for Michael Aspore, but also rather admiring of just how interesting it was to read about him being so honest about his life. And I think that would help some people reading that, I think, who might feel that they might have regrets of their own in their life to think, well, even, you know, Michael Aspore was a household name for some time, I think, and, and in a certain age of household still is. And so I admired the honesty because it showed that, you know, even the hoi polloi of the celebrity world are not immune to bad decisions and and the, the, the buffets of, of fate and fortune and and sort of grief and, and life and death, really. So I, I found this really interesting and I actually liked him very much as a result of it. I, uh, I I kind of found this affected me personally. This mm. interview kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. What troubles me here, uh, in, in his sadness, it's seeming to derive mm. from the breakup of his relationships with women. Yes. And now that he's been married three times, I think he said. Mm. And um, I, I'm worried now that if I make it to ninety. I'm going to feel the same kind of great remorse for all my splintered relationships and. Um, I'm too embarrassed, Jules, to try and count how many that is over the years. It's more than Michael Aspel's three. Well, well, quite. But then same with me, I suppose, really. But I, I guess I guess that I suppose, really, I guess one just has to look at maybe, maybe this is a good advert to live in the moment, possibly. And to think that, you know, I hate the idea, you know, I hate that that kind of trite things happen for a reason thing. But mm. things things just have sometimes it perhaps is more comforting to think that sometimes things just happen for no reason rather than, mm. than any reason at all. And sometimes things just play out like they do with, you know, a, a, a number of split deci- second decisions over every single day that, you know, there are sort of infinite ways. There have been films on this, like Sliding Doors mm. and The Butterfly Effect. There are infinite different ways in which we could, you know, we, we could live our lives. And the, I, I like the film The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. What would you do if you keep erasing your memories? It's it's I can see why there have been so many films made about it. Um he um he uh yeah he uh, i i you know it's it's interesting to say about isn't it really but mm. having said that though may, maybe maybe sometimes it's best not to dwell on things i don't know really but i thought this was very good i also enjoyed the fact that his um that his that he was good friends with eric morkham used to call him michael Aspirin. i thought that was that was quite <laughs> good as well so um what i thought also was quite interesting was he talked about things that had happened in the past because he'd been involved in the miss world pageant oh well, yes i remember him thing, presenting that. yes yeah. and the thing that i liked again about him from the interview was that he said he said um Miss World was very proper, not dirty at all. But when I look back, I gasp. The idea that women would would come out in bathing suits and be ranked and he's appalled by it. And I think, well, there aren't that many people. I admired him, actually, because I thought there aren't many that people that would say, 
I made a mistake. And actually thinking about what you've just said about sort of regretting your past relationships, I don't think anybody that expresses regret at how they've behaved in the past or that anybody that, that would express that that has changed their view on things and thinks that they that you know things in the past were, that they would have thought were right were wrong. I have less time for people that dig in than I do for people that that admit that perhaps they might not have done things perfectly the first time round. I think that's to be applauded. Yes, I th- I think that's 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 right. I mean, well, that's that's handy actually. That gives me some assurance. Gives you a perspective, because, I yeah, think. Yeah, because many of the times I've bailed out, I just knew that in the long term this wasn't the right person for me. And I and think that, that that's more of a service to do to someone, I think, than to just stick around and make each other miserable I for guess. thirty-five years. I think really. Also, I enjoyed the fact that Michael Parkinson it was referenced that he'd written various books over the years, and he'd off his nineteen. You said Michael Parkinson. Oh, you see, there you, you go. It. It's not yeah. it. We all do it. Sorry, my apologies to both gentlemen involved. Mm-hmm. Um, of his 1974 memoir, Polly Wants a Zebra, written under sufferance, Michael Aspel says, "Don't read it. Throwing on the bonfire. I was clutching for anecdotes." So I enjoy the fact that people he's willing to, to sort of criticise his past work. Really, I think there's much to, there's much to like about Michael Aspel and his reflections on life, which, while sad, are at least honest. And, and you know. Also, let's not forget, he brought joy to millions. And so do we, Terence, every week, apparently. So <laughs> so let's not have any regrets. That's OK, I, 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 that's, that's, that's a good way to finish. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. I, as ever, echo the sentiments of my lovely colleague, Terence, who I won't have a word said against, and I will Thank not throw you. your book on the bonfire set. Thank you. Suffering no problems like Holly Willoughby or Michael Aspel, <laughs> Juliet will be hosting her radio shows with her normal bonhomie. I shall do my very best, yes. Lots of words on Thursday evenings from 8 to 9 p.m. Smooth sailing from 7 to 9 p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Um, instrumentals for lots of words and good vibes and yacht rock and gentle reflections on on smooth sailing so we do try not to have choppy waters if we can juliet everybody wants a shady lane they do we're all aspiring for this i very much enjoy the slackerish stylings of pavement which which suits sort of mellow autumn days sunny autumn days uh, that are sort of such shit in the air that suits me to listen to pavement usually i like their their brands of slacker rock and uh you know in the sort of the the, the season of, of um was it autumn that was seasons of mist and and, and fruitfulness and things like that? Yes, I might be I might be yes, misremembering my metaphysical poets, but if I am not, there, I think. that's the one. Yes, I knew it was one of those dudes. Anyway, um, in this kind of season, walking down a shady lane with some very nice sort of leaves underfoot, that sounded good to me. So I thought I would bring us this. I think that I very much enjoy Stephen Maltmus and his slacker friends. This is Pavement and Shady Lane. Blind date with a chancer, we had oysters and dry lancers, and the check when it arrived, we went touch, 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 touch. A redder shade of neck on a whiter shade of trash, and this emery board is giving me a rash. I'm
been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>